0: Well, good morning once again. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well. If you have your Bible, if you'll go with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. We continue our study through the book of Ruth this morning, and uh, we have come to chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. And uh, I do want to remind you that if you don't have a Bible, like at all, or you would like one, on the back of the pew back in front of you is a Bible, and you take that that is our gift to you if you don't have a bible and special thanks to our team kids and mike coca and some others who helped get our new esv pew bibles out there those are brand new and uh, we're grateful to have those they match the translation that we're preaching from so take that bible and use it uh, at your need and if you need a bible take it home with you today that is our gift to you ruth chapter 4 and we are ramping up and then finishing our series in the book of Ruth, and we'll finish it, Lord willing, next Sunday, and then we'll begin the book of James. And so, again, begin reading the book of James, and uh, we'll introduce it first Sunday in February, and then we'll walk through it verse by verse and ask God to speak to and through us as He always does. The doorway to hope is only found after you have experienced hopelessness let me say that again the doorway to hope big word is only found after you have experienced hopelessness now think about it this way the door to hope goes through the door of hopelessness. In other words, until you realize and give up hope on everything but where you can actually find hope, you'll never actually experience hope. For us, as the people of God, all of us in our BC days, our before Christ days, before God saved us, we all spent in various ways and in various places different means to satisfy the longing of our soul. And ultimately we were looking for hope. Unfortunately, the majority of us, and maybe you're here today, were seeking to find hope where hope cannot be found because hope is only found in the person and the work of Jesus. Hope is not found in a human being, it's not found in a job, it's not found in a certain number of zeros after your name, it's not found in ideal circumstances. All of those things are kind of like Chinese food. They fill you up, but then within an hour, you're hungry again. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And by an act of God's sheer grace, all of us could put our story on the screen like Bill and Christina did this morning. And really, your story is a hope story. Your story is a hope story. You were looking for hope. Your hope got dashed. And now you're resting. At least we pray that you are in the hope that only Jesus can grant your aching soul. And my hope this morning from Ruth chapter four verses one to 12 is that God will use this text to strengthen your hope, to put some fresh meat on your bones. When it comes to you as one who hoped in Jesus for your eternal soul, that you would leave here today, re believing, re hoping and hoping like you never have before in his constant providential work. In your life and where we get that is from two ladies in the narrative Ruth and Naomi and they are going today to finally come to the apex of the story that we've been building up and they're finally going to experience hope in a way that I, I, I hope will show you that if you will wait on the Lord And you will stop looking for hope in all the wrong places god is not just a promise maker god is also a promise keeper and when he says that he is the god of all hope my dear friends he means it and so the title of the message today is the hope of redemption or redemption hope let me pray for us and then we're going to hop in father thank you for your loyal love toward your own in jesus jesus thank you for being our good shepherd holy spirit we we bless your name right now thanking you that you are our helper lord we need your help to make sense of this passage of scripture i've done some work and some planning and God, have have really sought to exercise my ability to understand what you, Holy Spirit, intended through the human author, and God, we we look to you as the divine author of Scripture now to, to bring it alive, to open our eyes, open our ears, that we would leave here truly saying that we cannot live by bread alone, but it is out of the mouth of God, every word that he gives that sustains our souls. So, Lord, what we are not, would you make us? What we know not, would you teach us? And what we have not, would you give us? Through these 12 verses, for the glory of your great name, in Jesus' name, amen. If you missed last week, quick summary, chapter 3, Ruth followed the counsel of her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law gave her this seven-step very intentional, specific plan of how to put her feet literally in the dead of the night at her future redeemer, Boaz, her future husband, Boaz. And essentially last week, Ruth proposed. She proposed and said, Boaz, would you take your your wings and and cover me with them? And would you care for me? And would you take care of me and my mother-in-law? And she presented herself there. Chapter 3 ends with Boaz wanting to protect her because that's what men of God do they protect women and he protected her by saying you leave before the Sun comes up before anybody knows you were here at my feet I don't want the town gossiping about some steamy one-night stand that did not happen we noted last week the purity of Boaz the purity of Ruth and that the 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 sensuality in chapter 3 is meant to make you feel uncomfortable a little bit, and their the sensuality is meant so that you would see Ruth and Boaz, they're not the average couple in the days of Judges where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We need more Boazes and we need more Ruth's. This is a match made in heaven. Ruth is the original Proverbs 31 woman before there was such, and Boaz, this man of hospitality, this man of generosity, this man of selflessness, he looks a lot like the Lord Jesus. And so we, we connected all of that. And proposal from Ruth is, is met with a desire from Boaz to say, yes, I will be your redeemer. I will be your husband. But there's something we got to get out of the way before that happens. He says in chapter 3, if you notice, verse 12, it is true that I am a redeemer. I could do this, Ruth. I could be your man. I could be your husband, I would care for you and your mother-in-law, but there is a redeemer nearer than I. In other words, we got to chat with him and make sure that he doesn't want to redeem you because he's closer in line to do that and I can't jump in front of him, so I've, I've got to figure out, is, is he willing to redeem you or am i going to remember he assured ruth and this is what men of god do by the way they they seek to to set their, their 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 spouse at ease and seek to bring peace in their life and and that's what boaz does he says if he redeems you or not don't worry ruth you will be taken care of either he's got you i've got you either way you're going to be redeemed again men initiative men of god take initiative to do the right thing. We don't play defense, man. We play offense, and we take the necessary steps. And Boaz does that. And if you're new to the Bible, you may think that's kind of weird. Like, where are these people from? Well, this is part of Israelite culture, where a Redeemer would care for a woman who had a husband and died, And he would redeem her. He would take on her. He would buy the property that she lived on with her deceased husband. And then he would retain those funds and then distribute them back to the couple. And now that inheritance is now his property, and now he is caring with the proceeds from that to make sure that everybody in his clan is cared for. So, this is a, a big, massive responsibility, and this is a part of Israelite culture. And the next in kin, and this is why you'll hear the term kinsman redeemer, your kin was supposed to redeem you and care for you and make sure that you were taken care of. And so Boaz has got to clear this up. And again, this is what men of God do. Men of God have to go have hard conversations sometimes. And it's not always fun. It's not always easy. But it's what God has called us to do. And so this is what Boaz does. He goes to court. He's got to go to court for this woman. He's got to go to court and get this legally settled before he can invite her to come into his redemption. So Boaz wakes up day after, day after. Remember, Boaz tells Ruth, Go scatter before anybody knows. The very next day, he goes to court. And that's why the first point there is litigation, litigation, verses one to six, litigation. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. Now, in these days, the gates of the city were not just the front door of the city. The gate is where you did business. The gate is where you had court. The courtroom, what took place at the gate? Because the elders who were the ones who would sign off on things were essentially the case and the, 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 the jury and the court and the judge all in one. They signed off on legal proceedings in the life of that particular community. And so Boaz goes to the gate and he sets down. Because he is doing what he is supposed to do by legally going. Well, notice and behold. And in the Hebrew, it really says, what do you know? The Redeemer, that is, the exact guy that he needs to talk to. He just shows up. Notice, Boaz had spoken and he came by. So notice Boaz sits down. And then what do you know? Here comes the very Redeemer that was next in line to redeem Ruth. And all of a sudden, it just so happened, here they are. Now, think back over the story. Because one way to think about the providence of God is, watch this now, the hidden hand of God. The hidden hand of God. That is the providence of God. And think about the hidden hand of God throughout this narrative. Remember, it just so happened in chapter 2 that Ruth goes and gleans in Boaz's field, her future husband. It just so happens that Boaz actually desires to take Ruth as his bride. It just so happens that a number of things, and it just so happens that Boaz sits down and all of a sudden God providentially gets this Redeemer to sit down right beside him. And notice Boaz says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He turned and sighed and he sat down. Now, the word friend here is an idiom that really should say Mr. So-and-so or random dude. So, this would say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, come, come sit down. The author knows his name. Boaz knows his name. The intention of the author here is to show that he is not a man worth even naming. There's, there's tension here built by the author that, that this guy, Mr. Nameless, Mr. Nobody, it, it's meant to give a negative impression of the guy. But notice Boaz, verse 2, notice what he does. And he took 10 men of the elders, told you elders are there to transaction business, legal, and said, sit down here. So Boaz is sitting down, the Redeemer is sitting down, now the elders are sitting down, now it's time to do business, time to go to court. So they all sat down, Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Remember, Elimelech is is Naomi's um, husband who died back in chapter 1. So, verse 4, I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Now, that sounds like a deal that Mr. So-and-so cannot refuse. And what begs the question, really, is, Boaz, what in the world are you doing? Boaz really just served this thing up on a silver platter. And he said, Naomi, you know Naomi, she has a relative, Elimelech. There's a really, they have a really nice piece of property and it is available to redeem. And I'm asking you, do you want the piece of land or not? Now, unless he's off his rocker or he doesn't have the money, this would be a no brainer. Absolutely. Anybody that at this time to have land was something so to get more land and notice he hasn't mentioned Ruth yet. He only mentions the mother-in-law, which means she's older, which means she cannot bear children, which makes it very, very exciting because in his mind, he's thinking, I can get the property as long as I care for this widow, Naomi, make sure she's taken care of and and she has food and water and she's cared for. That's great. I can sit back, absorb. It seems like a pretty sweet deal that has just been laid out to the man. And you want to shake Boaz and you want to say, Boaz, what about chapter 3? What about Ruth? What, what are you trying to do here? So, notice Mr. Random Dude says, I will redeem it. Now, imagine if Ruth and Naomi, we don't know if they're near, but notice, think about if they're there watching all of this. They have to be thinking, well, I, 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 thought, I thought we had something. I thought we were going to do this. You remember Naomi, she, in chapter one, her name was, means sweet. Chapter one, she said, no, call me bitter. I think she probably is watching Boaz as a mother-in-law that has already been assured that her daughter-in-law is going to be taken care of, that she's about to change her name again to (laughs) livid if he doesn't step up and do what he's supposed to do. But thankfully, Boaz, verse five, he's not finished. He's just setting the stage. He's a wise man. Boaz said, the day you buy the field, from the hand of naomi you also acquire ruth notice the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead to his inheritance so boaz says before you you know we move forward here there's one small note you need to know about on the day you buy the land from naomi did i mention ruth yeah there's a widow she happens to be from moab sir You know that country of where we lost 24,000 people because of of their idolatry, you know that that incestuous relationship that was born back in Genesis 19 that created the whole country of Moab, you also get her. Boaz is good because this really changed everything. This is no longer about acquiring land because Ruth is childbearing age, which meant according to Deuteronomy chapter 25, it would be a requirement for the Redeemer to have offspring with this woman so that the name of Naomi that now is connected to Ruth, that name and family line would carry on. And so by him doing this, he wouldn't just get the land, he would get a mother-in-law that he would also take care of, but he would also have to potentially Give his land away. And so now notice what he says. I cannot redeem it. Verse 6. Notice, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And this is where the music starts to go in the background. He did it. Boaz did it. Mr. So-and-so, have a great day. See you later. Boaz steps up. And that's the litigation. Second of all, notice the negotiation, verses 7 to 10. Now that court is over, it's time to negotiate, it's time to make this official. Notice 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now wouldn't that be a, something if we practiced that today? But don't miss what's going on here. When you take your, your sandal, your shoe off, this is a picture of saying, I'm giving you my land where I once walked. what it's saying. I'm get, taking off this, and I'm giving you my sandal. I'm saying, I'll walk there, but now it's yours. You walk on it. You do what you want with it. It's no longer mine. It would be the equivalent of what we used to do when we made transactions, just a good old-fashioned handshake. Now you have to put basically your whole life down for someone to believe you. It's an indictment on our culture, right? But in this day, taking the sandal off, I don't know if he wore it on his neck, or, you know, how, how he, he gave it away, but the idea is this land's no longer mine. I give it to you. And then the crowd, probably, the crowd has the burst into applause if you're sort of sitting back, and you and I are the crowd, but notice nine, Boaz gives this impassioned speech now, and this is the last words of Boaz in the narrative. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Milan, who would be their former husbands, Uh, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Milan, and I have bought I have bought to be my wife. So friends, this is, this is critical. Um, you should circle this, verse 9, in, your, in your, your copy of God's word because this is a big deal. Ruth the Moabite, the outcast, the foreigner, all the things that used to be bad about her, now she's been redeemed. And now her past is gone. And she is now part of the people of God. And notice why. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And so the problem, you remember back in Ruth 1, was the name's not going to be able to go on because all the males are dead. So what are we going to do? And now it's been fixed, dear friends. Because she has been redeemed, the name is going to be carried on. And the problem of chapter 1 has now been solved in chapter 4. So the litigation, the negotiation, now finally, notice the celebration. Notice 11. Then all the people who were at the gate. And the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. So you remember, Rachel and Leah together are the ones who perpetuated the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is a big deal, Leah and Rachel. These are matriarchs in Israel's history, and they are blessing, they are celebrating, they are saying, wow, this is amazing, and may you be blessed, may your womb be blessed, like Leah and Rachel. And then notice, may you act worthily in Ephrathah, that would be that area, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, I wish I had time to go into Genesis chapter 38 and really unpack this idea of Tamar. But I want to encourage you today, this Lord's Day, to reflect and go look up Genesis chapter thirty-eight. And I think when you read Genesis 38 and you see this whole Tamar incident, you'll see why these townspeople are like, may God bless you like the whole Tamar and Perez thing. So Genesis 38, that is your homework. Go read it, go feast on it and and, and learn. But for now, the point is this, these witnesses are celebrating. These witnesses are celebrating. They're celebrating what is going on here? And so it is a, a celebrative time in life. It would be like when, when the court and justice was served, so to speak, and everybody in the courtroom claps <laughs> and the judge says, oh, all right, calm down, calm down, calm down. It was the exuberant celebration. Now, I tell you all of this to say, and write this down, the act of redemption powerfully changes any story. The act of redemption powerfully changes any story. Remember this when you read the Bible. Every story in the Bible is meant to pick to to illustrate the grand story of Scripture, the fact that God is building a people for Himself, the fact that, that God is is redeeming sinners the fact that God is taking spiritually lost people and saving them and then building them into a people that is the story of the Bible and so every little story in the Bible this is why you have gotta be careful when you read stories in the Bible and you come up with all these weird interpretations and applications one way to think about every story is how does this point to the overall story of the Bible and if it doesn't then it's probably a faulty understanding of this particular little story so this little narrative in Ruth And this little episode, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, is highlighting the greater story in the Scripture, namely the story of redemption. So, very briefly here, three ingredients of redemption there in your outline. Number one, redemption ransoms. Redemption ransoms. In other words, it pays a price. I, you, we could never afford now this is boaz right he paid the price to redeem these ladies and and this is exactly friends what jesus did for us did he not for we are all born, like we're Ruth and Naomi in the story, okay? That's who you are. You're, you, you may be a dude, but you're Ruth. You're Naomi. Spiritually speaking, you have no hope being born into this world. You are born lost. I am born lost. We are born spiritually bankrupt. We got nothing except a debt of sin before God. And Jesus, Spurgeon called um, 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 Jesus our great Boaz. Just love that. Jesus is our great Boaz. Boaz takes the initiative to go get these ladies and do exactly what would need to be done to redeem them. Namely, all of us are born in bondage to sin. And I want you to notice chapter seven of Romans that you can relate to this. Although I want to do, uh, or so, so I find it to be in the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, my ears, my eyes, my hands, my mouth, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He goes on. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, as a redeemer, Jesus Christ steps into our story. He steps into our story, and He pays the necessary price so that we could be the people of God. Now, notice the question is, what is the price of redemption? What does it cost to be redeemed? Well, notice 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, the author says, Peter, knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed, ransomed, redeemed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, watch this, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish. So in order for you and I to be redeemed, someone had to die. Blood had to be shed. And remember, Boaz takes initiative. And you know what? God took initiative, did he not? God came on a rescue mission in the person of Jesus, not to play defense, but to offensively saying, Put everything on me that they did wrong. Put everything on me. They sin, they blew it, put it on my account. I'll die. I'll take the punishment. Friends, Jesus, a life for a life. This is why Jesus in my place. So, redemption ransoms. It, it pays a price. The price of sin, Jesus paid for it. Second of all, redemption rescues. That is, it solves a problem I could not fix. I could never fix it. Again, Naomi and Ruth have lost their husbands. They're in in danger of the entire family line disappearing. They have no hope of ever changing their situation. And guess who steps in? Boaz. And Boaz says, I'll rescue you. And he did it. And, And you know what, friends? Jesus said, I'll rescue you. And you know what? He did it. He rescued us. For people, I mean, sin ridden, guilt carrying, Jesus comes and he offers forgiveness to anyone. I just want to pause and ask you right now, friend, like draw a circle around you. I'm not talking to your spouse or like, have you ever asked God to forgive you purely by the merits of Jesus Christ? Are you resting right now in what Christ and Christ alone could do in His perfect life and His death in your place, that that, that God the Father punished Jesus as He owned our sin? And have you, friend, ever called upon the name and said, Lord, I need forgiveness? And notice Colossians 1 verse 13, it says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. Watch this now, the forgiveness of sin. So, the act of redemption, it can change our story, because in redemption, friends, we get forgiveness That is, God's not hanging your sin over you anymore. If you've never asked God to forgive you, friend, your your sin is hanging over you. And if you die with that sin hanging over you, I just want to tell you, I love you too much to not tell you this. You will live under the wrath of God for all of eternity. So run to Jesus today and say, Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. And you know what? He'll do it. Because upon the cross, He already did it. Now, the Spirit of God just applies to your heart what He did when He died upon the cross. See, this is the power of redemption. It solves a problem I could never fix. And finally, redemption restores. It grants a position I could never achieve. This is good news, friends. Um, You may not be excited, but I'm excited for all of us. Because It grants a position we could never achieve. Do you understand? When you become a believer, your status before God, it has changed forever. It has been eternally altered forever. Back in Ruth 4, Ruth and Naomi, they're defenseless, they're powerless, they're widows. And then Boaz, their redeemer, he acts in provision. And folks, in the gospel, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He brings us into the family of God. But watch this. You now get God as your Father. Do you understand? The God of the universe is now your Father. Notice Galatians 4 and verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, notice, who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, friends, when we are born again, God restores us to a position that we are the children of God. You'll hear in our culture today, people say things like, well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God. Children of God are only those who have come to Jesus for forgiveness. And God adopts you into his family. And Jesus now is your elder brother. And all the beneficiaries of the family of God are now given to you. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the beauty of redemption. Did you know Ruth's life has changed forever? We'll see next week, but you read Matthew chapter 1, she's in the lineage of Jesus. She's there. She's there. It's an amazing story of what God did. Ruth had a future in front of her that would be eternal in its implications. You as a child of God, your future has eternal implications. So friends, redemption can change any story in this room. How? Simply, it will ransom you. It will rescue you and it will restore you. So how about you? Have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed? If you have, all these things are true of you. If you've not, today would you call upon his name while there's still time? And would you ask him to redeem you by the precious blood of his dear son? Father, thank you for your incredible love and extravagant grace. Thank you that not only you promised this for those who believe the gospel but lord those of us who have believed the gospel we have experienced the power of redemption jesus would you help us experience deeper reality of all that is ours in the gospel jesus thank you for paying the price for our sin, for redeeming us, for living for us, for dying for us, that we are no longer slaves to sin. We've been rescued. And God, thank you that you continue to rescue us, Lord. Even this past week, I I know myself, I've been tempted to not trust you, not believe you. And God, you rescued me in those moments. You reminded me in those moments that you've called me to please you, and not myself. So thank you that you didn't just rescue, but you are rescuing, that you are with us. We are in union with you. What I pray for my precious brothers and sisters here that God, you would reawaken in them, reestablish in them a hunger, a hunger to marvel And all that is theirs in Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now we ask that the way you did it for us, would you do it for someone else? Would you save them, Lord? Lord, how could we say thank you enough for what you've done for us? Thank you that our, 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 our status before you has been changed forever. That we used to be the enemies of God and now we are your dear friends. Thank you that you desire to save anyone who will call upon your name. Thank you for ransoming, rescuing, restoring us. May we always stand in awe of what you've done. May we never get over our salvation. And those of us in this room are watching online, we may have gotten over it. Our salvation is crusty or it's not what it used to be, our gratefulness. Would you help us blow the dust off of it and marvel that you would save a sinner such as I? Oh, Lord, help us, we pray by the strong name of Jesus and by the power of the precious Holy Spirit, Father, we pray. Amen.